And so I learned while researching this book that Thomas Jefferson was a man of great contradictions, a believer in equality who owned slaves, a supporter of limited government who used his executive power to double the size of the nation, and, in summation, a fascinating subject for a biography. Before I sign your first editions of my book, Thomas Jefferson, An American Life, I'll take a few questions. Yes. So, Dr. Nair, why did Thomas Jefferson never teach Sally Hemings how to read or write? Actually, historians are unable to determine whether or not Sally Hemings was literate. She may well have been. So why didn't she write a tell-all book about what a total ass-munch Thomas Jefferson was? Because slavery served as a very effective non-disclosure agreement. Are there any more questions? Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, Presidential Sketch Comedy and History for people who can't afford Hamilton. Today's episode, President 3, Thomas Jefferson. What you are about to hear in this podcast is a mashup. Partly, sketch comedy in a radio comedy vein, and partially, discussions about presidents and history and how that changes. The folks you'll be hearing are DB Comedy, a political sketch comedy company that's been working in Chicago since 2006, where actors, writers, producers, and directors, along with actual real-life historians and experts in all things presidential. Thanks for downloading. Hope you like it. Oh, don't worry about the door, Sally. I'll get it. Oh, finally, Livingston. I've been waiting weeks for you to return. Sorry, Mr. President. Our ship got delayed by a school of whales. Seems it was their mating season. One of the males mistook our vessel for a female. It was touch and go there for a while. Spare me the details, Livingston. Did you get it? Did you get to New Orleans? I have the deed right here, sir. Oh, excellent. Come. Toast this victory with me. And I have even better news. Napoleon didn't just sell New Orleans to us, but offered an even better deal. The entire territory of Louisiana. Of course, I accept it. What? This is, this is more than I could have hoped. A toast to increased trade access for the United States. And the whole thing will only cost 68 million francs. <laughs> Eight million francs? Oh, good morning, Ambassador Livingston, I presume. <laughs> President Jefferson has been expecting you for weeks. Oh, yes, there was some business with whales. <clears throat> Sally, why don't you fetch some of your wonderful apple jelly to go with this sherry? Are you insane, Livingston? I wanted to purchase New Orleans and whatever coastal lands would make U.S. trade easier. I could barely afford that. But 68 million francs for all of Louisiana? Get out! But, Mr. President, I was certain you would approve. I know it sounds like a lot, but 18 million of it is French debt forgiveness. So really, it's a bargain! <laughs> Where did Ambassador Livingston go? 
Oh, he uh, he had to leave. Uh, pressing business with France. I, I think it was something about a looming escargot shortage. You know how those French are with their snails. <laughs> I'll get it. Hello, Hamilton. Hello, Jefferson. I uh, just passed Livingston in the corridor. He was muttering about the purchase of the entire territory of Louisiana for 68 million francs. Tell me this isn't true. Well, of course it's not true. You, you can't believe the mutterings of some Francophile. Don't let him eat, Jefferson. The word around Congress is you've been trying to buy New Orleans for some time. So, so what if I have been? Yeah, owning New Orleans would open up trading access for us. Do you even know if France owns New Orleans? Last I heard, that territory was owned by Spain. Of course France owns the New Orleans territory. How else could Napoleon sell it to us and stick it to Spain? Aha! So you did buy the entire Louisiana territory. As the president, I made an executive decision to expand our existing country to twice its size. Ooh, I made an executive decision. This is just like you, Jefferson. You and your so-called strict constructivist interpretation of the Constitution. You're a hypocrite, Jefferson. This won't go down so easy. I'll talk to Congressional Majority Leader John Randolph. We'll get this purchase of yours quashed. Well, when you meet with Randolph, tell him this from me, Hamilton. What? <laughs> you Really gone and done it this time, Thomas. Oh, you too, Sally. Don't you see what this does for the country? I see it makes the country 68 million francs poorer. Just how do you plan to pay for this? Do you even have the authority to buy this? How are you going to sell this to Congress? Uh, when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. Hey, that has a nice ring to it. Oh, you would scream the deal was an expansion of federal power, Mr. States, writes. Well... How do you propose to pay for this? I don't have a clue. Oh, oh, I've got it. You could use that federal banking system that nice Mr. Hamilton set up. The federal banking system I opposed? Yes. Tried to dismantle? Uh-huh. Couldn't? Ah. That federal banking system? Yes. People will tar me as a hypocrite. Seriously? That ship has sailed. Go with it. Now, as to whether or not this purchase is constitutional, oh, the Constitution grants the president the power to negotiate treaties, which is exactly what you did. Oh, oh and the Constitution doesn't say that you can't make the purchase, so it's all perfectly legal. That is an excellent plan. <laughs> I'll get my surrogates to talk this up amongst Congress. Oh, the Louisiana Territory is ours for sure. Oh, Sally, what would I do without you? <laughs> Why don't you free me and find out? <laughs> no. <laughs> Your historians for today's episode, Laura Ashley Pierce and Chelsea Deneau. So when we when we left off last week, we were talking about John Adams's reputation being <laughs> somewhat lower than perhaps it had a right to be, which is fun because now <laughs> we move oh, on no. to a president that I would argue until maybe the last 10, 15, 20 years 
has been, I mean, quite literally, on the mountaintop of great, uh, of great presidents. And it's only maybe, you know, it's only, it's only been in, in a much more modern era that we're looking at Thomas Jefferson and doing a really huge reassessment of all of that. And as I was describing that, Chelsea was just glaring at me and oh. nodding. No. <laughs> Chelsea hates Thomas Jefferson with I, a burning passion. Uh, I don't hate him with a burning passion. I just have really strong opinions about um, him as a human being. And they are not positive <laughs> opinions. <laughs> I mean, Perhaps reasonably so. I mean, well, it, it's hard to refute that he was a hip, he was a hypocrite, at the very least. Um, talking about how the French were just so enamored with their items and how ostentatious and pompous they were all the time coveting what um, he could bring back. Um, I can't recall the exact name of it, but uh, the treatise that he wrote. Uh, oh, Notes in the State of Virginia? Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> I still got it. Yeah. Hashtag historian. <laughs> uh, I should remember that, being a Virginian. Um, but, I mean, the hypocrisy in that... Um, how he got the Louisiana Purchase done, despising Hamilton, but willing to use their banking system. Um, Happy to use it. Yeah, yeah. Once he was able to. So I think at the very least you could say he was a hypocrite. Great ideas as far as the Declaration of Independence. Uh, shitty businessman. Oh. <laughs> Perhaps no. a shitty weren't, human being. Weren't they all shitty businessmen, though? All of our early presidents? I mean, not to jump forward, but not William great. Henry Harrison, for example, was in constant need of money, and Jefferson was you know, quite the spendthrift in his personal life. And he of course, we whole tons of French stuff. We in our last, uh, well, two episodes ago, talked about uh, George Washington and how all of his money came from his wife. So <laughs> he, he did have he did have some money. I mean, he he was he the only son or he his brother not, died. Yeah, his brother died. That's right. His brother so did die, but he was the the living son. Uh, his parents weren't necessarily prosperous, but they weren't suffering. I think they were pretty well to do. Uh, enough where he was able to vote, uh, mm -hmm. so he wasn't the common man, and oh, he no. did inherit slaves from his family. I mean, he was he yeah no by no means destitute, but uh, you know the position that he held within Virginia society, uh, you know if you will was especially later in life. Yeah, especially later in life was was very much due to uh, you know not so much his own abilities <laughs> as uh, as those that what he, he married acquired. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, if we're going to talk about Jefferson and his way of doing things, at what point does hypocrisy become pragmatism? I don't really like thinking of his his hypocrisy in the way of pragmatism, only because his hypocrisy gets in the way of um, into the realm of racism. Um, especially how he feels about um, Native Americans and how they ought to be removed if you look at notes in the state of Virginia. Um, that, to me, is not pragmatism. That's racism. And perhaps 
you know, that's applying modern day terms to um, a earlier time. Maybe he would have qualified it as pragmatism, right? He wants... No, they pretty much knew what they were doing. I yeah, mean, thank you. I mean, there were letters. I mean, here I am being a, a historian there, there trying were letters to like between, parse words. Uh, Jefferson, Madison, I think Monroe was the third, and they talked about slavery and how they uh, have a difficult time, how they're unburdening themselves about, oh, it's just so emotionally devastating for us to do this, but we throw up our hands because what else can we possibly do and how will history judge us? But we will soldier on and still maintain slaves. <laughs> yeah, history will in fact judge you. And, and not even history. I, I read uh, recently some British re- uh, reactions to the Declaration of Independence in 1776, <laughs> and even then they're like, oh yeah, this whole... You know, all men created equal thing is kind of rich coming <laughs> from cute. a bunch of Virginians. I'll be I'll be closer to the mic, Joe. Sure, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that you know, at at some level, if your opinions are you know, if it's idealism versus pragmatism, then you have to admit that when you're talking about the idealism in the first place, right? And there is none of that, right? The high ideals are always pure high ideals. And then the reality is very different. And there's never an acknowledgement of these are pure ideals, but they're not sustainable and workable in our current system, perhaps. Um, And that's never the case. And so I think then that makes it, a you know, much closer to hypocrisy um, when when you don't have that acknowledgement from the get-go. But then there's also, and it goes back to, as we started the conversation, this presumption or desire of being nice, <laughs> being a good person. Like, these are the people that created this incredible experiment. Therefore, they must be virtuous. They must have been nice. They must have been... We would have had a, a, a flask of ale with them, with all of them. <laughs> How could they have created everything had that not been true? Well, we've, some, oh, oh, well, I was saying we've mythologized the uh, founders so much. And this isn't just an American thing. You know, all countries have done this about their origins. But, like, most countries have a lot farther back to look. And it's a lot harder to actually see the flaws in that mythology. Um, You know, England can talk about William the Conqueror. And they can talk about uh, the Britons. And they can talk about King Arthur. And, like, no one's really going to be able to say shit about it. Because there just isn't the information to be able to contradict much of that uh, mythology. And the American Revolution... Was a was you know not that long ago in the grand scheme of most countries, so it's very easy for us to look back and say, well, actually, this and this and this that's not true. We've clearly built these men up to be something that they were not. And, and thank I goodness can, they left their own records, like very detailed records, so that we can go back and say that. And then they left their detailed records about their peers also. Um, I did not see the lecture, but as a C-SPAN 2 nerd, there was a (laughs) lecture one Saturday of, I can't recall who it was, but his whole thesis was, do we really want to tear down the myths of our founding fathers and inject truths? Can't we just leave that what it is? So this was a Republican. Um, (laughs) Probably. uh, Not to get political. I, 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 I couldn't think of who... 
he didn't. There was no description of who he specifically was talking about, but I can think of oh, well, one in, person in, in, in the early. Well, this is so '90s culture wars, it right? Is. Well, I mean, I mean it, it, it's Donald Trump saying, well, what's next? We're going to start tearing down statues of Thomas Jefferson? And we're like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> owned slaves and was a racist? <laughs> well, was it, was it if, if we could go back to, again, the beginning years of the, of, the, of the Republic itself, would there have been a need in order for the country to survive to have that myth? of no, that sort of myth of nobility and the myth of the Founding Fathers? I, don't think I mean, I think this is a much more modern creation than that, okay. though. Yeah. You know, this wasn't something that was happening in 1820, right? This is something that has <laughs> happened, well, maybe by then, <laughs> but certainly, certainly not in 1802 then, at least. Exactly. <laughs> maybe in 1820, by the time most of them were already dead. Oh, yeah, Shoemaker and the Revolution. Like, everyone should go read that book, by the way. But, I mean, it, it certainly wasn't a myth that was being cultivated at the time that they were living in order to keep up this very tiny, fledgling country that needed it. Um, you know, by, let's say, 1820 then, um, the country was certainly not this baby little fledgling bird anymore. As, as kind of winding it, winding it around a little bit, it sort of sounds like Jefferson is maybe, maybe is one of the er, like the early founding fathers presidents that really kind of coasted in on the reputation he had yes. yep. during the revolution, yep. rather yeah. than even what he, what he, things he was doing politically during the early years of the republic itself. Perhaps yeah, I the mean, pre-revolution, because wasn't he like the French ambassador? He was French. He was the ambassador a little bit during the end of the revolution, and then um, he was Secretary of State under Washington, and right really worked hard to strengthen the relationship between France and the early republic. Yeah, I mean that was really um, one thing that I was thinking when we were first, you know, just panning like, what did Jefferson really do as president (laughs) other than Louisiana Purchase? And I mean the answer is like. Not really that much. That I mean, it is true. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did have, I mean, he did do so many things before becoming president and was so important um, in that sort of revolutionary, immediately pre-revolutionary time of the country that, I mean, that's what got him elected president. And I think, honestly, that that is, you know, that is a lot of what has mythologized him so much. His career, because yeah, he, he didn't do a lot of self-mythologizing as opposed to many other presidents that we've encountered. That would have been will beneath be him. I'm sorry? That would have been so beneath him. He had, James, he had, he he had James Monroe to do that. Yeah, he, 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 he tapped someone else to do the uh, puffery for him. Yeah, James Monroe much like was a elections. very good ally for that. I think one thing we're overlooking, though, is in the importance of Jefferson's presidency is he made such a bad decision with Aaron Burr as a vice president that because of him, uh, we have vice presidential candidates separate from the presidency. So, like, which honestly was that really a bad thing, though? Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm not maybe upset. this makes much more sense. It worked out. So in I the th- long it worked run, out better for us, I think. 
But really, Jefferson, I just to uh, circle back, Jefferson definitely does become president based on his impressive pre-Republic resume, right? Mm-hmm. He's governor of Virginia. He writes the Declaration of Independence primarily. Yes, there were other people who helped with the language, including John Adams. I'm going to put a plug in for John Adams here. Yes, uh, I saw the musical. <laughs> yeah, right. Everyone's seen 1776. And if you uh, haven't, you absolutely should. You should. Exactly. With um, the white shadow is Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. <laughs> um, right? He has a very, he was ambassador to France. Um, he has a very impressive political resume and ideas that really, um, I think, are inspiring to a fledgling republic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as president. And, and as vice president, right? I mean, you can have these as secretary of state. fabulous, amazing ideas, but if you can't actually put them into practice and achieve results, then which you can't you in a young in a young in a young republic. I mean, and I think though that does go back to our question about pragmatism versus idealism, and to harken back to and our defense of John Adams, <laughs> he was more of a pragmatist and was able to have, you know, to some extent more tangible results for some of his policies than someone who's trying to be a pure idealist and then just like debasing yourself <laughs> with pragmatism instead of just being upfront about your pragmatism in the first place. Can we just agree right now that we'll bring up John Adams for every episode? Oh, I'm so down for that. It might get dicey for a little while, but I can try. It'll be great. Uh, Come in. Mr. President, the British ambassador. It's Thomas! Jefferson, where are your clothes? Why, they're in my wardrobe, Sally. Where else would they be? Well, then go put them on. You cannot receive Ambassador Mary in the nude. It's inappropriate. On the contrary, I think it's perfectly fitting to greet Mary in my natural state. I shall rebuke his British hauteur with a display of American cheek. Among other things. Thomas... What are you hoping to prove with this little display? I beg your pardon. All right. Medium-sized display. You men and your fragility. I shall show as much respect to King George III as his navy does to our trading vessels. British captains are seizing our sailors and pressing them into service as if they were slaves. Well, gracious, we can't have that. Certainly not. Americans will not tolerate such a breach of diplomatic protocol. If need be, I shall entreat Congress to end all commercial intercourse with Britain. I shall prove to Ambassador Mary that all men are created equal. Give or take an inch. Thomas, you own slaves. You can't possibly argue that all men are created equal. Haven't you seen how the Negroes at Monticello are hung? Don't you mean hanged? That too. Fine. I'll show Ambassador Mary into your parlor. Shall I alert Secretary Dearborn that we will be at war soon? War? Oh, Sally, I'm hardly brandishing a bayonet. Amen to that. Mm. I shall return with the ambassador. And tell him not to tarry. I shall not be made to stand on ceremony. Not in a room this drafty, at least. (laughs) Mr. President, may I present His Excellency, Sir Anthony Mary of Great Britain. Uh, Good day, Mr. Jefferson. I... Where are your breeches? It's your breeches which I hope to eliminate, sir. Leave us, Sally. A woman should not be witness to the exchange in which the ambassador and I are about to entangle ourselves. All right, Mr. President. Call for a blanket if you get cold. Why, just the sight of Ambassador Mary warms my blood. 
I'm not sure you understand the purpose of my visit, Mr. J. Oh, let's not be coy, Ambassador. We're men of the world. We know what happens on those long sea voyages. Oh, I'm as discreet as I can possibly be. Ah, there's nothing furtive about the brazen way in which you British try to impress American sailors. Look, it was just a cabin boy, and he nodded his consent. Do you deny your interest in my seamen? Well, of course, but haven't we other business to conduct first? I tire of this foreplay. If you don't submit to me right away, Ambassador Mary, I shall ban all intercourse between American and British citizens. Oh, my. You like to play rough, do you? My love of American men leaves me no choice. If I find no satisfaction with you, Ambassador Mary, there will be men tied up in ports up and down the Atlantic coast. I will not bend until you submit. Well, all right, then. Let's get this minuet started. Ambassador Mary, I... Why are you lying on my floor? So you can walk on my back. It's my favorite diplomatic overture. Nothing reduces transatlantic tension like a big, strapping, red-headed country boy stepping on me. I think... You, you seem to be, um... Sally! Mr. President, what have you done to the ambassador? Nothing yet. Mr. J, your wench is perfectly charming, but as we used to say at Eaton, three's a crowd. What's this, red coat? <coughs> Ouch! I see why you keep her around. She kicks like a mule. Sally, I'm I'm beginning to reconsider my plan. Oh, uh, um, no, Mr. President. Don't grow faint-hearted now that you're on the cusp of such brilliant success. The king's man lies prone before you. You must see to his humiliation. Yes, please! Here, Mr. President, place those enormous Virginia feet upon Ambassador Mary's shoulders. Ah... Uh, uh, uh. uh. And I shall fetch, fetch the portrait painter. Why? Oh, oh why, why, yes. Yes, let us have a painting made of me standing naked upon Ambassador Mary and send a print of it to as a gift to King George III. And if he refuses to stop the British policy of impressing American sailors by the British Navy, I shall hang this picture in the halls of Congress. Splendid idea! Not sure I'm so fond of it. What was that, Ambassador? Here, if, if you'll just get off me and help me to my feet, I'll, I'll go back to London and tell him to fulfill your request. Shall I have the footprints pressed from your coat, Ambassador? No need. I'll say it's an American fashion. So all this fuss was over naval policy? Of course. I wish I was still Ambassador to France. The Marquis de Sade, he's knew how to handle a man. Ta-ta. <laughs> Oh, Sally, what would I do without you? Oh, why don't you free me and find out? <laughs> you almost got me that time. Now, we've written plenty of sketches about Sally. So we'll, you know, Hemmings, be talking let's call her by her full name. Miss Hemmings, yes. Uh, who, we don't hear her voice. We only know what people have said about her. Yeah. Um, and what was the age difference there? Thirty oh, years. Yeah, that's very. It's uncomfortable on many levels, but that one, as in particular, you know, to modern sensibilities, is particularly yeah, problematic. The, the, the modern, because I can kind of well, when I thought that she was fourteen, I'm like, well, at that time. We didn't have teenagers, the concept of teenagers. Yeah, you were certainly an adult at 14 at yes, that time. Um, and there was the idea of, you know, you, you've uh, gone through puberty and we want to 
marry off these girls as quickly as the hormones start raging. And it's a finite amount of baby stock. making time. Yeah. Right. Romeo finite time. Ro- Juliet's 14. Sorry, I just went to go see Romeo and Juliet. So uh, and then <laughs> I was reading uh, a tweet from, I want to say, Charles, a uh, guy was at the New York Times. Uh, Proudhammer? Uh, no, no, he's God, dead. No, no God. <laughs> right. uh, if he's tweeting, run for Real the Hills. Yeah. Um, but he, w- during uh, 4th of July weekend, they basically said, oh, yeah, he was sexually abusing her when she was 12. I'm like, and I'm out. <laughs> yeah, tw- 12, it's hard to uh, historically legitimize anymore. If we're going to talk about, you know, Jefferson and not minorities, but native populations, so we say, okay, I can't um, actually speak to his land removal policies. I can't speak to that genocide, but Jefferson, from what I can tell, was part of the cultural genocide we tried to perpetrate on the Indians by replacing their lifestyle, the hunter-gatherer lifestyle, with agriculture and clothing manufacture. Well, I think it's really dangerous to assume that all Native Americans practiced a hunter-gatherer yes. lifestyle. It's right, right. But this is the part of the program was, if we give them, make them all agriculture, they'll soon be good Americans. A lot of Native American populations already practiced agriculture, just not agriculture as Europeans saw it, which was right. the mass clearing of land for monoculture. So it's very much if they, if they, yes, if they practice these very specific our version of agriculture, then then they could be good Americans because, of course, of you know their version was an inferior version that was not going to civilize you. Yeah, if you heavy you quotes. Fence, it's not really farming. <laughs> like just because you're going around and clearing the forests doesn't mean you're managing the land. Does it count? <laughs> it counts. <laughs> well, then, as of to- as with Thomas Jefferson, then, as we like to say in many of our sketches, we shall speak of him no more, unless Sylvia had a final word. Um, no, I mean, coming from Virginia, I mean, they fought down to the mat, and there's still people who are uh, trying to say that Jefferson was not the father of Sally's five children. I mean, they've uh, literally done DNA tests. They have. Yes, but also climate change isn't real, Laura. <laughs> I mean, Science no, lies. In, including all of Thomas Jefferson's white descendants. Right, like so. they've literally compared the DNA from his de- white descendants and Sally's descendants. Like. Well, there's someone who is... Yes, but uh, science. Oh, yeah. right, didn't they say, like, it could have been his brother. Well, it could have been his nephew, uh, you know, one of the Randolphs. Uh, no, uh, it yeah, was Randolphs. A, it was a Randolph, and then there was a second one that was uh, a possibility. They said, no, the... Uh, I may be getting this wrong, but the... Uh, alleles on the Y chromosomes mm. didn't match up with the uh, the descendants, so they erased him as a possibility. I mean, also, at the end of the day, this wasn't a secret when it was happening. So I don't know why it's somehow such a contra... Well, I mean, I do know why it's such yeah. a controversy now. Uh, right, because America, right, America's <laughs> uncomfortable with race. Right, yeah. and, okay. and no, it, like the mythology... Race, the the miscegenation. I mean, Virginia had it codified... In its constitution, there is no miscegenation. Ironically, uh, the Rolf family, who are still <laughs> alive and they still have their descendants, really? who can't. Yeah, oh yeah, we, uh, they're still alive. Hey, there are original Nantucket families still. Wow. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. that uh, descended from 
Pocahontas. I think her Indian name is. Oh, it starts with an M. Uh, oh, I can never pronounce it. It begins Monet. with an A. Uh, I think it's either an A or an N. Um, but um, they have it codified that they are honor- his descendants uh, are honorary white people. Uh, just, just Honorary, uh, yeah, yeah, Matoka. Uh, that 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 is codified in the Virginia Constitution because otherwise, are you going to tell a powerful uh, colonial family, sorry, your matriarch is a Native American, uh, so we're going to have to put you out with the non-white people. <laughs> we just have to put you in the not-white category now. Yeah. Right. Well, anyone who's a Disney princess has got to be considered an honorary white person. <laughs> but since we have. Uh, we tried to give Sally some dignity, some flesh, by uh, casting her as a long-suffering helpmate to Jefferson. Wasn't she also... What role? What other role did she serve in Jefferson? She kind of served as, I don't want to say nursemaid, but kind of a nanny to his children by Jefferson's late wife. Yes. And yeah, she came over when Jefferson and Martha got married. She was like a wedding present. She mm-hmm. was to go over and be uh, Martha's maid. And then when, was it Patsy who was the second one? Mm-hmm. When Patsy was born and Martha dialed in childbirth, yeah. she took care of the children. And then when Jefferson went over to France, he took Sally along to yeah. take mm-hmm. care of the children. And when they came back, Sally was pregnant. Here she is, 16, and he's Oops. 46. <laughs> Yeah. Who knows what might have happened? Yeah. I, didn't I mean, know Jeffrey Epstein was around back then. Yeah, realistically, at the time, it wasn't a secret, and I think that that's the thing that really just mind boggles me with how much difficulty um, so many people today have um, with these facts is that nobody was denying it at the time. Um, people talked about it. Not literally openly, but as openly as possible at the time in the newspapers. People, I mean, people made fun of Jefferson for this. Dusky, people literally made fun of him for it. Dusky Sal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, James Callender, his own, I want to say campaign manager. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, basically blackmailed him because he was did not get the government position that he thought he should have gotten from Jefferson. So he was going to, even though it was uh, sort of like a Weinstein kind of thing, uh, people knew about it. You just didn't talk about it, especially in polite society. He was going to put it in the newspapers. And strangely enough, they found James Callender's body face down in a pond sometime later. Oh, yeah. He he was uh, murdered. Question one, to which I should know the answer. Did Sally know how to read and write? She did, from what I understand. She was I believe so. She was a house servant, and so she needed to be able to keep up with business of the house. Okay. And other question, which I should, to I mean, which I should know the answer. Was it illegal in Virginia? It wasn't illegal, actually, until yeah, not later. Turner. Nat Turner. Nat Turner. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then we realized perhaps we should not teach people right. things. Yeah. They get ideas. Yeah. Uh, and the next question that to which I should know the answer, but don't did was did he free her? No, no, no one was. Martha, Martha freed her because he was concerned about his legacy, and if he had to free her, uh, then he would have had to set up show preference. He's, he would have had to show a, a petition the government to say mm-hmm. this is why I'm freeing her, and it's like so why? And so um, it's entirely possible that you know Thomas said to Sally, "What, what would I do without you?" And she said, 
Why don't you free me and find out? Of when he was of the Embargo Act on British goods to stop the practice of impressment. Indeed. Which did not go well for the United States because, spoiler alert, we imported a lot from Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Especially fine goods that wealthy Americans wanted. And Uh, those are the people voting for you. Like Jefferson. (laughs) Like Jefferson. He's like, fine, I'll just import everything from the French. But... It Oops. it really did not go well for the um, fledgling American economy. To draw a perhaps unnecessary parallel with <laughs> modern uh, with modern politics, weren't a lot of the sailors whom the British were impressing back into service in the British Navy actually refugees from the British Navy that they were trying to re? I mean, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the individuals who are part of American ship crews were originally British citizens, right? Because they were part of America, which and was the majority of Americans of, at that time were originally British citizens. <laughs> um, and so a lot of them do have British roots or British origins. Um, I, I actually don't know that they were necessarily refugees from Britain. I think refugees. My term. What's that? Well, that was my term. Okay, there we go. Um, which I can, I can understand that, um, right? America, before the revolution, is seen as a wonderful opportunity for young men who maybe aren't in higher society. So you could, I think, make the assertion that, right, these are economic refugees from Britain coming to America who know ship trades. And yes, and I believe that some of them actually had escaped from the British Navy from their, you know, term of impressment, their term of, I don't know if it was exactly an indentured servitude, but they certainly had a term of service to fulfill in the British Navy, and they got, you know, a little too much of the either the rum, the sodomy, or the lash, and decided... To hell with this! I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sail with the Americans. Go in there. Okay, y'all. I mean, the all Brit- of you that the just British picked- Navy is just a nightclub, guys. And by the way, <laughs> all of you that just picked up the Pogues reference, Paul, just slipped in there. Please contact us, and uh, we'll it's give also, you a like. It's also a Churchill reference. See, okay. I, I've always just preferred the term buggery in that sense. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just so much more British. It has, a, it has a better mouthfeel. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, <laughs> so Thomas Jefferson remains one of America's most important, most admired, and most dynamic presidents ever to have lived in the United States. God bless America. Very nice report, Patrick. Indeed. Lovely presentation about one of our greatest presidents. This is why my family has always sponsored this city's Randolph Industries Presidential Speech Contest. It is so important for our youth to respect and honor our country's magnificent history. Thank you. I agree, Mrs. Randolph. Isn't it true your family is descended from the Jefferson family? Oh, well, why, yes. What a brown noser. You're just jealous because I'm going to win the Randolph Industries Presidential Speech Contest and win the pizza party. Bet not. Sally? Yes, Miss Sandy? Are you ready to read your entry? Oh, boy, am I. What a brown noser. Be nice to your fellow students, Patrick. (laughs) She started in. Okay. Would you like to begin, Sally? Yes. 
The title of my paper is Why Thomas Jefferson Should Be Erased from American History Books. <laughs> well, now. Why Thomas Jefferson Should Be Erased from American History Books. For over 200 years, the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, has been thought of as an American hero who wrote the Declaration of Independence and helped free America. It is true he did write the Declaration of Independence, but so what? Really? Thomas Jefferson owned hundreds of slaves and never stopped owning them before, during, or after the time he wrote the Declaration of Independence, or even when he was president. He cannot be considered a man who freed America if he owned slaves. Oh. Oh, boy. Furthermore, after Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, where he said all Americans were free, he then did not volunteer to write any part of the Constitution of, U of the United States. So when the Constitution of the United States was written and said slaves were not pe full people, Jefferson stayed quiet and let that part stay in the Constitution. What a jerk! Can't argue with that. Begging your pardon? <laughs> Thomas Jefferson's famous house, Monticello, was built by slaves. But Jefferson thought so little of them, Monticello had tunnels built under the house. That way, the slaves could run around being slaves for Thomas Jefferson and his family, but then run under them so guests wouldn't see them. Ew. Right? Questions later. Good. Continue. All of this should be enough for people to realize Thomas Jefferson was a bad man. And that doesn't even talk about the slave he had children with all his life, who he started seeing while she was 14. Her name was Sally. My name is Sally, and I'm 14. And if someone like Thomas Jefferson even tried to touch me, I'd scream my head off and my dad would kick his butt until Thomas Jefferson was dead. Oh, that's a little much, don't you think? No, it's not. Sally's dad is huge. He could kick anyone's butt. Thomas Jefferson was a mean man, and he said one thing and did something else all the time. Someone like that is a bad example for kids like us. If we said he was a hero, what kind of men would become leaders of the United States of America? Jerks. I never. So for all these reasons, I believe American children like me, and even dopey classmates like Patrick, hey. should not have to study who Thomas Jefferson was since he was such a jerk and did not really defend Americans like he wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. The end. Well, that was interesting. Who taught you all of that? I did all the research myself. Miss Sandy taught us how to do research that didn't just use Google <laughs> and Wikipedia. She did. <laughs> well, Patrick and Sally learned all the facts of Thomas Jefferson's presidency in the books that you or our family helped buy for this school, Mrs. Randolph. Hey, you also said even though we know Jefferson was a bad man who still did good things, we should study both parts of him. And I did. Yeah, but the Randolph Industries Presidential Speech Contest is being sponsored by Randolph Industries. Our family started this contest back in the 1950s when America was at its greatest. I don't like where this is going. I do. So, the grand prize of the Randolph Industries Presidential Speech Competition and the pizza party goes to... Goes to this lovely young man, Patrick. Yay! I'm sorry, Sally. You threw me under the bus for bad history books? I'll make it up for you on your grade. I'm already getting straight A's. Well, you can come to my pizza party and read your paper. You patronize me.
but we did introduce the idea of profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, to several uh, First Nations cultures. So that was one of the forms of corruption. Are we putting that on Jefferson, too? Or? Which is <laughs> ironic, since he was a failed plantation owner, <laughs> died in debt, and they had to sell off a lot of his possessions, including his slaves who settled his debt after he died. Well, I mean, Thomas Jefferson was certainly no friend of Native Americans in Virginia, of which there were very few left um, by that point anyway. Um, but he did point blank say in notes on the state of Virginia that any Native Americans that were still remaining in the state would probably have to be pushed out so that right, white settlers could move in and cultivate the land and bring civilization. And so, right, he's no Andrew Jackson, for, for certain, right? Well, that's a story He's for another time. He's starting to sound more like a Millard <laughs> Fillmore or a Gerald Ford at this point. Oh, don't mess with Jerry. He's from Michigan. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I will say, though, that if we're... I, I, I don't want it to come across that we think that... Not to, uh, you know really be mean to Gerald Ford or Millard Fillmore that we think Thomas Jefferson was some sort of pathetic excuse for a president. Um, no, far from it. Be, I mean, because he, he was an important, there's no denying that he was an important president. He did important things, but I think what we, what is necessary to make clear and perhaps what we're making, you know, more to the point than, um, be, because the point has been made so much of his importance and so little about his uh, disqualifications and his deficits, his shortcomings. Thank you, and his shortcomings. Um, that those have to be emphasized so much more because those have not been talked about for you know over a century, um, and they are pretty glaring. But I would also argue that Jefferson's presidency is not that impressive. Right? I mean, let's... The Louisiana Purchase, Chelsea? Oh, it's fine. Okay, so More that's... than double the size of the country? So that's his one crowning achievement, though. In... So I believe Chelsea is trying to say, what have you done for us lately, Jefferson, besides <laughs> that? <laughs> Which, right. like, fun fact, he, like, wasn't sure he could actually do. When <laughs> Jefferson went through with the Louisiana Purchase, he was sort of like, is this okay? Like, looking over his shoulder, like, am I allowed to do this? I guess I am. Guess like shadily gives, gives some money away and acquires doubles the country in size. He's That's like, no of, one's going to stop me. That's the advantage of being early is you can just do something and if no one stops you, it's Call fine. It precedent. <laughs> yes, it's much easier to uh, ask for forgiveness than permission. So just do it, and if it works out, it works <laughs> Said out. Said the Jesuits. So when he was not president, he had fits about people expanding the role of the presidency <laughs> as it was that outside of the boundaries of the Constitution or what is spelled out that the president can do. Um, strangely enough, once people get in the office, they decide, let's just... <laughs> Build another room on this Constitution concept. <laughs> I really convenient. like that uh, translation of the Constitution as uh, condo. <laughs> I really enjoy that. Um, but no, his presidency, right? There's really, besides the Louisiana Purchase, there's really nothing to shake a stick at, right? We have hmm. the Barbary Pirates situation, which does not go well. We have the Embargo Act, which also does not go well for Jefferson. Um, we have... 
the vice president, Aaron Burr, fleeing to Louisiana, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> trying to start his own country. Like, you're compensating for something. <laughs> Could, can't imagine what that would be. The Thomas Jefferson sketches were written and produced by Gina Bukola, Sandy Bykowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Chue, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, and Patrick J. Riley. The Thomas Jefferson sketches were performed by Gina Pucola, Sandy Bakowski, Brad Davidson, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Kchoe, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, Tommy Spears, and Louise Thomas. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production of the Electables podcast produced by Joseph Fedorko. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donations page at fracturedatlas.com the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax-deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information about DB Comedy The Electables, visit DB Comedy's website, dbcomedychicago.com, and follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy and Twitter at DB Comedy Chicago. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Don't forget to comment and like us wherever you've downloaded this podcast.